learn marketing, um, learn how you're going to get your company, your brand, your product, your service, whatever it is in front of somebody. Um, a lot of it has got digital now and it's applicable to most companies. Um, and if you don't know it, or you're not putting, you're not working with really smart people who know it, you're going to struggle. Yeah. You'll get lucky maybe and have some content go viral. Um, but even if you're not putting out content, like that's, it's just it's not going to work. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Preston Hanby. And uh, Preston started off his journey going off to college, not sure what he wanted to do, got a degree in uh, hotel management, came out, decided uh, maybe he didn't want to do hotel management because they have to be open all the time. They have to be uh, doing a lot of uh, crazy hours. And so went into financial planning, went through the crash of uh, 2008, 2009, decided to make a switch, went into oil and gas. Family was in that industry for uh, three generations, moved to Singapore, worked there for a bit. Uh, then uh, decided to start looking for uh, a different work and different opportunity and uh, uh, also had a couple kids along the way. So started uh, doing a few other things, including uh, going into the solar industry in Austin, Texas, and also uh, founded uh, another startup that was a better fit as well. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Preston. Hey, thanks for having me, Devin. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, excited to, to have you on. And uh, so I just gave a condensed version to a much longer journey, but let's uh, rewind and unpack that a bit. Um, so tell us a little bit about how your journey got started in college, uh, going into hotel management and uh, not quite uh, knowing what or, or, or what you wanted to do. Sure. Uh, so I started as engineering and I remember sitting in uh, Calculus 3 thinking I was crazy if I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. No, no insult to engineers. It's all great. And that's kind of how my brain thinks, but it just wasn't for me. Mm. And so moved, transferred to uh, another university, University of Houston, found hotel and restaurant management, which seemed like a great degree, fun industry, secondary, or kind of a fallback was just a business and finance and management degree. So thought that I could use that well and got into it, graduated, worked in the industry for a long time. As you said, they never close. And so uh, just didn't want to do that. <clears throat> it was fun while it lasted, but working late into the night, all weekends, it was, uh, it was rough. So chose another path <clears throat> excuse me and now, so uh, and, yeah. and maybe just one question on that and uh, you know just to, to expound on it so you went in you obviously got a degree in you know hotel management but then you come out and said hey this isn't the path for me kind of at what point along the journey or kind of when did you figure that out was it hey i graduate got the degree started working in there and now i figured out i hate this and i never want to do it or is it more of, hey, I, I, you know, I find this interesting, a lot of good lessons to learn. And even if I don't go into that exact industry, I still think it's applicable. Kind of walk us through how you, you came to that determination. I mean, I was, I was an idiot. And so I was a kid and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And at the sort of the same time, I met my girlfriend, which is now my wife. And she was really good at poking and prodding and getting, uh, inspiring me, for lack of a better term to do something else, uh, do something better that was uh, a little bit more uh, supportive of having a family and kids and all the other stuff. Like, it's a long story. But yeah, it was that. And so 
found uh, financial planning, um, did that for a few years. Uh, like I said, it's six days a week. You talk about a grind. That was that was really hard. Um, a couple hundred phone calls a day, very little on the financial planning side, more on just cold calling and, and signing up new customers. We did have all the licenses, but you it takes a long time to really learn that industry. And so we learned sort of the higher level stuff in insurance and financial planning, investments, uh, and general market strategies. But at the end of the day, your your base your success was based on how many people you could sign up. Mm-hmm. And so made that up until about the 2008 crash, um, which was just brutal. Um, at the time, I was living in Houston, and as Lehman and everybody else were going under, we had also in Houston had Hurricane Ike come through, came through. So we had no power, no internet, and internet back then was kind of crappy anyway. So um, we couldn't call our customers to tell them what was happening or our clients and sort of alleviate some concerns or make some moves. You just couldn't do anything. And so having to do with a hurricane and that, definitely a one-off thing, but it was just, I just kind of shed light that that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't enjoy what I was doing at that point already. And that was sort of the straw that broke camel's back. Hmm. So now I, I get that and, you know, six days a week and consistently and being or doing calls all the time at that, it sounds like it would be a bit of a grind. And while it uh, may, may pay well, there's uh, certainly other things that are also important. So now as you kind of say, okay, made, you know, did this for a period of time, got to endure the, or some of the crash, you know, I think as we talked a little bit before you decided to make a bit of a, a different or go into a different uh, industry or go to a different path, which was kind of uh, start or into oil and gas. Is that right? Correct. So um, that was the thing of comfort. I'd been on oil rig since I was a kid. I mean, I think I was on my first offshore oil rig when I was like three or four. Um, it was my grandfather, my dad, uncles, all a lot of folks in my family. I mean, that's kind of prevalent in Houston, growing up in Houston. Um, and so decided to leave financial industry and then jumped back into the restaurant industry only because I knew I could make connections. So I ran a wine bar and I was just, just absolutely... I just didn't care. And I would ask everybody, everybody that came in and uh, honestly, 60, 70% of the people came in from the industry anyway, um, got really lucky and met the CEO of a really large manufacturer uh, early one afternoon, chatted up about wine, um, what he was doing and sort of what I was looking for, told me to sign up for this program. It was like an internship program, which I interviewed for as a, I think it was 30. And I just remember thinking like, this is crazy. A 30, I was competing against some 21, 22, 23 year olds is like, and I guess in hindsight, it's not really that big of an age difference, but in the moment it feels like decades. Um, so I competed for this internship, didn't get it, but got a call like the next day um, from one of the heads of the divisions asking me to come in um, and work for him. And so I did, and that was great. I loved it. Uh, worked in rig up yards, learned that industry for a while. Um, it was on the operation side of a big sales uh, division of the biggest manufacturing division. And so it was, it was fantastic. Um, got to travel and travel the world with my boss, um, setting up efficiencies. So kind of got exposed to the operational thing, uh, PL management. And I don't think anybody really grows up thinking I want to be an operator because who the hell knows what an operator is other than someone that might perform surgeries. Um, and so got exposed to it there, really developed a love for it. And from there, that company itself grew by acquisition. So when I was there, my first year I was there, I think we'd had the 210th acquisition in the course of like seven years. Mm. And I was traveling abroad and met somebody who just started with another division in Singapore. 
and was chatting with them because that's what we did. The company's really good at acquiring, but not not bringing them on and, inter- and meshing them into the company to the full conglomerate of the company. So it's all these companies that almost operated autonomously. I think there were like 110 different ERPs, so 107, 110, something like that, operating. And they had to be all manually tied in at the end of the month and quarter. It was just a big nightmare. And so I met this guy, one of our, our, uh, our deals was that we helped all the different divisions talk to each other and utilize each other and know how to cross sell. Cause once you get outside of Houston and really the U S it's not as big. So a lot of people are doing a lot of things. I met in Singapore, just in passing. Hey, if you never anything, if you ever need anything, let me know. Sure enough. Um, like t- kind of a fate type thing. We wanted to move to Singapore. My wife and I were there on a, uh, stayed there. And just kind of explored Southeast Asia for a couple of weeks, came back, got a call from a friend of mine in Singapore who had just moved. A bunch of us in this office moved to Singapore at the same time. He's like, hey, that person you met, he's looking to hire a country manager of this other division. So they didn't been interviewing for a while. Evidently, a lot of people don't want to move abroad, which I just find crazy. So long story short, I tricked somebody into hiring me for a position that I was woefully underqualified for. Um, in a really small division running basically Southeast Asia, a little bit of Asia as well from operation, really everything. I ran everything, operations, sales, uh, everything under operations, some of the financial stuff. I mean, it was, it was crazy what keys I was handed at that moment. Now that I think back, just, I would never do that now, but I'm really glad it happened. Hmm. Um, and so in that, it, I just discovered autonomy. My, my boss sat with me at the time, but he was busy with some of the other areas, he eventually got let go. And then I was reporting to the guy who ran all of international and he sat in Dubai. So um, that just afforded me autonomy. So it afforded me autonomy to screw things up. And he, I guess we were so such a small cog in his bigger PL that it didn't matter or he trusted us or, or whatever, but man, we I just screwed things up and then I had to fix it and I was allowed the autonomy to fix it. And then I was able to jump on opportunities they presented themselves and, and really just learn by blunt force trauma to the head, which is evidently how I learned the best. And so, yeah, from there, I just grew and grew and grew and really loved it. Um, had two kids over there. Um, but after a few years, the thought of flying back with an 18-month-old and I think a three-year-old at the time, I would have rather pulled my toenails off one by one. That 24-hour flight in a metal tube with tiny children is not super fun, especially if you're doing it every six to eight months. Hmm. Um, and plus our family's getting old. So we look for something else here. Um, found or And we just kind of set cities that we narrowed the search down to. Um, a solar company came up, which is the antithesis of what I had been in. I kind of felt that well. It is going time. kind of from one extreme of the industry to the other where not a, nothing bad or wrong with either of them. It just kind of seemed like they're a little bit of polar opposites, but the, you got into the air a bit. So how did you kind of go from gas and oil to solar kind of just opportunity presented itself or kind of how'd you make that switch? Yeah. I, I mean, I think oil and gas at the time was just the best. I grew up in it. It was just a different industry altogether. Um, a, a lot of it had bad connotation, but the one I experienced was really fun. Um, you got to learn a lot. So many of those folks built companies on the back of a napkin from designs, just brilliant people that never came out of high school that just built billion dollar companies. And so the relationship and the trust you could get there was great, but over time it's, it changed. And, you know, for lack of a better term, that's a sunsetting industry. I mean, it's not in my generation or maybe my kid's generation. 
we know where all the oil is. It's not, that's not a surprise. There's, there's nothing really new there. It's just the technology to get it out in an affordable price. And so with that, seeing it change, I just decided to switch industries and, and was kind of looking in a certain range, some renewable stuff. We had a renewable product um, in Singapore that I really liked. And it was driven by an, one of our Norwegian companies who was way further down the renewable road than really anybody else was. Um, got in, started figuring that out. And like I said, just the job came up here in Austin for uh, SunPower, big solar power manufacturer, solar panel manufacturer, cells and panels. And it was sold to me as a startup that had been around for almost a decade or a little over a decade at the time. When again, I like the autonomy. So I like to be able to pounce on things and learn new things if I wanted to. I don't like blinders. Um, I just feel like you miss a lot of efficiencies there. Um, so came back, ran manufacturing in the Philippines to some degree, fulfillment, distribution, operational efficiencies out of the Philippines, Mexico into um, the US. It was great, really interesting, but man, a lot of travel, a lot of sil uh, siloed activities, you know, for lack of a better term, a lot of pissing matches. And it would take six I found as an example, within like, I think six months of being there, I think it was $24 million of excess debt inventory just hanging out in a couple of different warehouses. Hmm. And it took me another, I think three or five months and the company to hit a cash crunch to finally be heard to like, hey, this is just dead money tied up. This doing nothing for us, in fact, is devaluing. We're spending more than we're making on it. So it's just a big initiative to move inventory out to generate some cash. So that was the type of stuff we were dealing with, um, traveling quite a bit um, and dealing with different countries who are creating work just for work's sake. Hmm. And was, I think I was on a call at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night one night and just cruising LinkedIn, just sort of frustrated and found a really weird job title not a title but a company for a director of ops and applied for it and got a call back i think literally the next day for an interview and they started telling me what it was it's one of those things it's just like it was easy apply before easy apply and it just you could you could see the title and where it was and just apply without really digging and it, get the call it's for a startup it's a massage tool company um that really blew up because of it, it appeared on keeping up with their kardashians and i kind of questioned my thought process at the time and talked to him a little bit more really liked the guy who was interviewing me and that was it i was sold and that was my for away that was my that was my gateway um position into startups into the startup world and i just haven't looked back since then and so no, sounds like it was a, a great opportunity. And uh, again, kind of one that uh, came along that was uh, worthwhile not to pass up. So you made that switch. Now, I think that in addition to kind of going in uh, working uh, for the startup and, and going down that route and getting more experience and kind of going that direction, you've also done a few things that maybe a bit more recently as well um, with some of your own, whether you want to call it second job, side hustle, startup, whatever that might be, or whatever you might call that. But uh, give us a bit of an idea as to kind of how that's evolved alongside of everything. Yeah. So um, I I run, this is my fourth or fifth or sixth startup that I've been on the leadership team of. And um, it's my founder and I and one other person at the current startup, Awkward Essentials. Um, and the Francis Tang, my founder at this one, she's, she's something else. She really understands um, where her strengths are and where they aren't. 
And she's also one of those people that understands that you learn a lot by seeing a lot of other things instead of staying where we are and what we've done, as opposed to talking to other people and figuring out other things that they've done in the past. So just in my own network and her network and uh, collectively our, our network as a, as a company, I've reached out or I've had some folks reach out to me to help. And then just some folks that I've offered help to and been a part of the SKU program here in Austin and advise some companies and you just get a different look. So something that works for us in this startup might not work for someone else or might. And the, and the inverse is true as well. And so we talk a lot to other folks. We do advise um, when needed because ultimately, especially if it's in sexual wellness, this is such a weird industry with a lot of taboo sort of labeling that if we can help the, the cumulative industry grow, it helps us in turn as well. And we don't really look at it from a competitive standpoint. I'm, I'm sure there's competitors out there that you don't want to associate with. But ultimately, as long as we most mostly align and it's something that that we can help each other on, we're, we're in the talk. Um, I mean, this what you do day in and day out, IP and patent, that's a big deal um, uh, for a lot of startups, but specifically in sexual wellness. In fact, we're dealing with one right now. So anything that we can cut to the chase, save someone a few months on of deliberating or even a, a few thousand dollars talking to a, a quote unquote expert, we'll do it to help. It's, it just helps everyone in the long run. No, make, makes sense. And, you know, you're right. I mean, and, uh, for a good portion of the country or world or whatever the subset is, you know, we get, it's a, something that's an awkward or conversation or an awkward product for other people. And yet it also is one where it presents an opportunity and it also addresses a need that oftentimes because it, or sometimes people can feel awkward about it uh, or has to go through that. And so I like the, even the name of the company was just awkward essentials. You might as well own it and, and, and address it. Um, so kind of give it or catch us up a bit. Where are you at today as far as Still working for, you know, you mentioned several startups, different businesses you've been involved with maybe in the past and presently and in the future and kind of where, where are things at today with the, you know, Awkward Essentials and any of the other startups you're involved with? So Awkward Essentials is, is where a majority of my time sits. Um, so we are, I mean, I don't know what I can and can't say on your podcast, but I'm just going to say it anyway, and we can deal with the uh, editing later, but so, I mean, we're, all this our, caveat, I, I keep it so that my kids can listen to it. So as long as it isn't too, too racy, we're good. Yeah. Okay. You might have to believe <laughs> a couple things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, we started as come and or Francis started the company as come and gone. And then through advisory of our investor changed the name to be uh, a little bit of a broader spectrum to allow for more products and expanded product category. And so, Changed in 2021 to Awkward Essentials. Um, and the hero product has always been the Come Sponge, so the Drift Stick, um, just to help for after after sex cleanup. And that has been, I mean, a, it's the most fun to talk about anywhere, a party, really just anywhere, a podcast randomly that your kids might listen to. I apologize because I have kids and they pick up the boxes and ask, what is this? And I immediately send them to their mother to talk. Um, Fair enough. So. Yeah, so um, it's fun trying to, to some degree, get some normalization of a couple of conversations, not in like changing the world type stuff, just just letting people know that there's maybe 
um, situations that women deal with um, that they don't want to or don't have to. Um, and so providing products to, to help that. Um, started primarily D2C, in two years just grinding through Shopify. Launched um, Amazon last, last year, so a little over a year ago, um, after tons and tons of debate. But really kind of in your field of expertise, it, we started as a protection um, standpoint. So making sure that we were the first to market, we were the first to list, we were the first ones to start bidding on keywords and, and start to bring up some of those terms so that they were our branded terms, not anybody else. And so that we would rank on that stuff. And honestly, I thought it was going to be, you know, 10 orders a week, something around there. And it has just gone crazy. And so that's growing substantially. I think we have three or four X since we started in April of last year. Um, and it's, it's just going crazy. And so it's a weird channel. It's definitely weird. It's, it operates in a vacuum more than anything else. It, and like things don't come out of it. It's more, more like a black hole, but things do go into it and do stimulate it. So any marketing that we do from a D2C perspective influences that um, because people just trust Amazon. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's the biggest marketplace in the world. I can't, you can't ignore it. And then from there, after a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work, we, as of March of this year, started launching in retail. Um, we had some adult stores we were doing some business with and distributing products into, but um after a really long conversation and testing on .com, we launched on CVS shelves in March. And so I was right at 2000 doors. Um, and since then, I, I guess it's official, but we're in all of Spencer's doors as of last month. Um, I had no idea how big they were until we were chatting with them. I, th I, I honestly, just because I thought that malls were shut down for the most part and becoming Amazon fulfillment centers, something like 600 doors, which is really impressive. And so the retail piece is becoming a really interesting channel for us as well. Um, marketing in general, as an operator, we don't speak that language. Uh, as a fulfillment person and finance person, we don't speak marketing. Um, and so that's been the thing that I've been learning the most in the past 18 or so months. I used to joke that it was like voodoo or black magic, that no one really knew how it worked, but there was some weird agreement in the back end that helps people be successful. I don't necessarily think that that's wrong anymore, but I've, you know, pulled the curtain back a little bit and understand how the wizard is doing it. Um, I'm not a marketer per se, but I know enough to make me dangerous. And like I said, one of the few that can speak about it, few operators that can speak about it. So, hmm. um, you know, that's the fun of a startup is that if there's something that needs to get done, you just jump on it. You don't have to go ask someone's permission or, Hey, can you do this for me or whatever? And we're really lean and super conservative. We're not just going to be one of those startups that gets a headline because we went from three people to 60 people or 600 people just so we can get a headline. We want to grow and be profitable um, and not be a flash in the pan. No, I think that uh, definitely makes sense. You know, sometimes it's exciting and I'll put exciting in quotes for those that uh, can't, are watching the video that, uh, you know, that you can, we're doing great and we're making all this money and revenue and income and growing and everything else. And yet, First of all, sometimes that's that's not what you end up wanting to be. Like you may find that it's a company that's grown or grown in a direction that you don't enjoy anymore. And two, that with that growth and that size and those adjustments, you bring out a lot more responsibilities. It, it, it 
changes the nature of the business. And so I think that you're mindfully saying this is the direction we want to go and this is how we're going to do it. And this is what makes sense for the business. Definitely uh, there is a, a good direction to be in. It sounds like a, a, a great uh, direction for you guys to head. Yeah. I mean, something that we've noticed in the whole raise game that has kind of fallen apart is uh, something I've been calling it recently. And I'm not, I'm not downing it by any stretch of the imagination, but like it was almost a Ponzi scheme. So companies were raising just to cover their losses. Um, and we're just not going to do that. We, we were on a call with a marketer two days ago where the guy was telling us he was handing a portfolio to fix. They made 16 million last year, but lost 13. And just, and it's such a huge Delta. I mean, it's so crazy to me and we just, we just don't play that way. So mm. like I said, we're in it for longevity. Uh, I think that makes uh, perfect sense. So. Well, now as we've uh, reached the the present day of the of the journey, and even looking a little bit into the future to so where you guys are headed, it's a great time to transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each episode. Um, so I'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What'd you learn from it? It wasn't a single thing. Um, like I said earlier, I just, I learned from blunt force trauma to the head. The 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 holistic thing it was during kind of a, a window of time of a few months is not paying attention to the detail and trusting people more than I should. And I mean, a long story short, that led us to have to shut down our entire operation in Singapore for like two weeks to rectify the problem. And it was just, it was a nightmare and it was, it was professionally one of the worst things I've ever dealt with. Um, people talk about COVID COVID sucked. The startup I was running at the time down 96% in the first two weeks of COVID. That was, and that's outside of my control. I can't sweat that stuff. We pivoted and moved very quickly and solved as best we could. But the other thing was completely in my control and I just, I just screwed it up. So as a leader, if you're not a detail oriented person, learn how to be, and at least figure out processes and reports that you can catch the summaries really quickly. And something that came out of that, like, basically my number one motto is um, I'm never going to ask someone to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And so I've been the type of, I guess it's called servant leader leadership, but I'll try to learn everybody's job so I can speak intelligently on it if I'm going to be leading it. And at least like, I guess an example, if they're out for a day or a week, I can run it. Um, not as well, because I don't think I'm smart anybody else by any stretch of imagination. It's just having that that ability to figure it out and have some sort of idea of what what's going on. Mm. No, I think that makes sense. You know, and it's it's a balance line. I think as you get further into a business, you get more experience, you get, or you kind of figure things out. To your point, it's almost one where I don't know that there's a good way to learn a lot of those. How, who do you trust? How much uh, rope do you give them to? have, you know, ability to make decisions versus hang themselves and, you know, kind of what, or what does that all look like? And it just comes through blunt force of going through those experiences, learning the lessons and doing it better the next go around and, and having that opportunity to grow. So sounds like a easy mistake to make, but a great one to learn from. Second question now that I always ask is now, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Learn marketing. Um, learn how you're going to get your company, your brand, your product, your service, whatever it is in front of somebody. Um, a lot of it has got digital now and it's applicable to most companies. Um, and if you don't know it or you're not putting, you're not working with really smart people who know it, you're going to struggle. Yeah, you'll get lucky maybe and have some content go viral 
Um, but even if you're not putting out content, like that's it's just, it's not going to work from an operator, from a financial standpoint, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it, but that stuff is easy. I mean, it's, it's more or less black and white. There's certain, I mean, gap, you've got gap when it comes to come to your P and L and your, your, your finance. So there's certain rules you can follow from fulfillment and manufacturing. At the end of the day, it's getting a product from a design phase to a, to, to a completed product. So a finished good. And then taking that product as a brown box in to your warehouse and a brown box out to your customer. So it's really nothing more complex than that. The marketing piece is so nuanced and so different and can absolutely make or break you. Um, and so if, if it's not your thing, I would at least again, have enough information to speak intelligently on it so that you know what metrics to be looking for. And frankly, marketing is another language. So definitely learn all the acronyms, learn what those metrics indicate how they can more or less be influenced, um, be thinking about ROI instead of some of the fancy terms, not fancy, they're not fancy, they've been around forever, but like be thinking about, is this dollar that I'm spending on this marketing initiative making me a dollar plus back instead of, oh, well, my ROAS is one plus or whatever. Um, is it is it ultimately making me money or is it driving customers to my site that and through my email um, flows that I can be making money within X period of time. Hmm. No, and, so. I, and I think I like that, you know, I think that learning marketing, whether or not you're going, and some people don't like marketing. I actually find it interesting. And that's part of no. you know, one of the things that I, I, I enjoy. And I, I wish I had more time to do it than less. Um, but, you know, it's always a balance of getting everything done. But I think whether or not you enjoy it or not, it's a good thing that you should at least be able to understand and be able to either do it yourself, give direction, whether it's a employee that works under you, whether it's a third party, whether it's an agency, but having that understanding is a, is a great perspective. And I, you know, I come from an industry of attorneys and some, or some aspects, attorneys are, you know, good, or I'll put quote again, good marketers in the sense they're ambulance chasers and they always yeah. figure out a way to find the, the people doing it. And yet on the other hand, most of the industry attorneys just want to practice the law and they never ever figure out marketing and that always hampers people's career and i think that's applicable across a lot of other industries that even if you're in other aspects having that skill set and not be able to understand it and speak intelligently about it is going to be very impactful about your business so i think that's a great uh, great takeaway i mean even like you said setting up a referral network is a marketing initiative and so you can't just put something out there and expect it to sell itself i don't care what it is you got to have some push behind it Yep, absolutely. So, well, now as we uh, wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, all of our handles, um, all of our socials, we've got a pretty big presence on uh, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, go to our website. Our website's fun. A Twinkies, uh, we use a Twinkie as our mascot. Um, hopefully no one gets really angry about that. And then something that looks like a Barbie, but isn't a Barbie um, to, to give some sort of example in, in some of the products that we use. So all of our handles are Awkward Essentials, um, websites, Awkward Essentials. So really anything that way. Personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I spend enough time looking at our socials uh, professionally that I just, I don't have any social media accounts. It's too distracting. It's too much for me. Um, so yeah, that's the best way. 
Awesome. I definitely uh, encourage people to reach out, uh, support a great business, find out a bit more, and if nothing else, uh, make a new best friend. And uh, I feel like we almost have to put a disclaimer. There is no association between this company and Barbie, just to, to make sure that you <laughs> that you don't get in any legal. Not that you would get in any legal trouble, but yeah, I think it's I always it's always it. kind of funny when when you when you pick up those little things. You're like, I get why they're saying that. So. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you other listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review, helps us to share these uh, journeys with even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. And on that note, if along your journey, you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Preston, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it.